Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Good morning. My name is Darren. Uh, we are in a series. We just started a series um, called Markers of the Garden, and we are anchoring our community in six values or theological visions. And last week we started with Jesus. And today I get to to talk to you about family and meaningful relationships. I want to encourage you, if you're new to the church or if you, you go to the garden normally and you weren't here last week, Please podcast last week. We are trying to define uh, what we mean when we say these words. So every week we, you can talk about Jesus. But last week I clarified the Jesus we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. Amen. Um, and so today we're talking about family. So I have five points for you this morning. Uh, four points, excuse me, to help us understand what family is all about. Number one, the walking dead. For those of you taking notes. Number two, humanity's oldest problem. Number three, tribes. And number four, be human again. You with me? How many of you are taking notes just so I can see who I'm talking to? Okay. Oh, that's more than I thought. Um, Some of this stuff's really good. Some of it's okay. But some of it is noteworthy. I'm telling you that right now. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. Before we jump in, how many of you participated in the Jesus Week? Yeah, awesome. Okay, amazing experiences. Keep your hands up. How many of you experienced some amazing breakthrough? Just enjoy, like you and your spouse connected in ways you haven't connected. Um, Alex and I had some great sex because of it. And we can, we can talk about that at church. Do you know that? Is my wife here yet? Okay. Um, as long as she's known. Just kidding. Wait, uh, uh, how many of you... She's leaving now. No. Um, how many of you experienced frustration? How many of you became deeply aware of how angry you are? How lonely you feel? How disappointed you're, you really are? I mean, to start off the week without caffeine was the worst day of my life. I'm just going to be honest. I was telling somebody I had pain in every part of my body for some reason. I have coffee meetings all day long. And it was like every pulse that my heart had, my head was throbbing. And somebody was like, just invite Jesus into the pain. And I was like, no, medicate, medicate. No. Um, but it was an incredible experience. Uh, for those of you that experienced the awareness of self, you know, my wife told me she was, you know, she's, got a, she's been watching her kid at home. And she said, getting away, get, putting the distractions away, getting rid of all the noise. Uh, helped her realize how lonely she feels throughout the week. And that she found herself engaging and going after relationships with when all the distractions were gone. That she pursued Jesus, obviously, but also she started to reach out to friends more and connect. And I did the same thing. I wasn't scrolling on the internet. I wasn't looking on social media. I, I, was, I was having phone calls with dudes for like half an hour, like checking in. How's your wife? How, you know, but guys just don't operate that way. But that's what happens when we get rid of the noise. Um, society is moving at a rapid pace. Would you agree? It seems like things are getting faster and faster, more RAM, more speed. Apple, by the way, Apple did launch all their new products this week. And uh, some of you were texting me in disappointment because uh, the fast kind of went around the same time. But I knew that. So I was, I, was, I was getting rid of my idols and you guys were all bystanders why that was going on. So for those of you that missed the event, sorry about that. Um, how many of you cheated? I'm just curious. How many of you cheated during the week? Okay. Anyone have caffeine on Monday? Like normally, yeah, our worship pastor's like, sorry, I had caffeine. We're like all struggling. He was like, no. 
Yeah, he was. He was. I was like, why are you like frustrated and angry? Society is moving so fast. And, and um, because of the internet and because of social media, we are socially connected like never before, but we are more socially isolated than ever before. In fact, um, st- uh, st- there have been some studies that have shown that 40% of all people living in the Western world, whatever that's defined, classify themselves as feeling lonely. 40%. That's a 20% increase in 30 years of people that feel a sense of loneliness. Doctors have discovered that loneliness adds to, uh, uh, directly impacts depression. It impacts um, your heart disease. It, it, uh, social isolation impairs your immune system and it increases inflammation. And if you're an elderly person um, and you don't have people around you, you're 50% more likely to die earlier without a community around you caring. Loneliness is an epidemic. Loneliness seems to be classifying what's going on. And if you would step back and observe the artifacts our culture is producing through books, movies, media, television, and other forms of art, you would see a society longing for family. Don't agree? Check this out. Loneliness is the most common ailment in modern society. Can you go to the pictures? Do we have the pictures up? Did they go through? Okay, here's evidence of longing for family. Friends. How many of you are fans of Friends? Great show. Six individuals forging a new community, an extended family over ten seasons. Number one show of its time. And they all come from dysfunctional or broken nuclear families. And what what, what does this reveal to us? It reveals to us that the number one show is is telling what, what audience wants. The audience wants to see community, wants to see family. If you don't believe me, look at, look at Modern Family, Parenthood, The Cosby Show, um, you, The Full House. You, the list goes on and on and on. We want to observe the way family could be, even in its dysfunction. We want to see extended family work out. That is the longing of our current modern society. In fact, the greatest evidence is The Walking Dead. And here's The Walking Dead for you. I could have given you pictures of zombies, but I actually got scared when I was Googling pictures. Cause <laughs> I was like, <laughs> heard a loud noise. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? Zombie. Okay, so The Walking Dead, for those of you that didn't watch, 16.1 million people, record-breaking viewers uh, for its season four premiere. And the show portrays a dystopian world where a viral contagion infects most of the world with, uh, uh, in such a way that they become zombies, or as the show calls them, walkers. And then there's a small group of uninf- uh, uninfected uh, people that forge together against all odds to form to survive the world against this contagion. The world, the the story by the end of season three is basically how these strangers become a a new type of family unit and community in the midst of chaos as the world falls apart. It is a story of how they live on mission, how they survive the world around them. The, The Walking Dead is evidence that People are longing for community. People are longing to see families, families flourish. The world is longing for connection and searching for a place to belong. The world is desperate for authentic community and meaningful relationships. Loneliness is the most common ailment in the world, the modern world right now. Loneliness. And loneliness is also humanity's oldest problem. Loneliness is humanity's oldest problem. Don't believe me? Let's go to our Bibles real quick. Genesis chapter 1. 
We're going to look at the story. I want to talk about family, but in order to get there, I needed to talk about the, the, walking, de- or the walking Dead. I need to talk about tribes. We're going to talk about um, humanity's oldest problem. And all this is related to family and how our church is defined by this word according to the scriptures. Genesis 1 verse 27. Here's what it says. Um, first of all, God creates all of the earth and all of creation, all of the universe in six days. On the sixth day, he says to himself, uh, let's make mankind in our image. And so verse 27 says this. So God created mankind in his own image image in the image of God he created them male and female he created them so the beginning of the story if this was a timeline the beginning of the story begins over here God creates everything and he says it's very good he creates humanity male and female in his own image it's not primarily man in the image of God it's humanity as the image of God do you know this so we're designed to live in perfect relationship with, uh, with God, ourselves, and each other. Genesis 2 is another creation account. It's not, I know it's chapter 1 and chapter 2, you think it's a timeline. But Genesis, two, uh, Genesis 1 is like all the universe, God's story of how, how the universe comes into existence. Genesis 2 is how uh, zeroes in and focuses in on a, another story of creation, a different account, you, you could say, um, uh, uh, of what happens in the Garden of Eden. Look at what God does in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, if you're taking notes. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. But he runs into a problem. What was the first problem in paradise? Loneliness. It says in verse 18, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The first problem in the Garden of Eden is it is not good for humanity to live alone. We are designed to live in community. We are designed to live in perfect community with each other. I need to reiterate this. To be human is to live in perfect harmony with God, ourselves, and each other. That's the definition of humanity. According to where the story begins, and remember what I said last week, how the story begins shapes the story you're telling. So Genesis 1 and then chapter 2, what comes after chapter 2? Awesome, chapter 3 comes after chapter (laughs) 2. Oh, sin enters into the picture. We're given free, free will and choice and we choose to worship ourselves instead of God and obey ourselves other than God. And we eat the forbidden fruit. And, uh, and then what happens immediately after that? Adam and Eve hide from each other. They cover themselves up. Their shame enters into the story. They're afraid of God and what's going to happen. And then God comes onto the scene. Where are you? Who told you to, to eat the fruit? And, and Adam says, the woman you gave me. Which is my line for everything that goes wrong in my life, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, honestly, if I lose my keys, Alex, where'd you put my keys? Where'd you put, did you put my water in the sink? What's, and it, uh, every single time I blame her, I find it somewhere else, and I never tell her. I'm always like, oh, um, I, I, didn't, I don't know where it went. I just did a new glass of water. I lie to her every time. No, I don't lie. <laughs> but blame, we are, what is that? The story of Genesis 3 is the story of how human, the human, um, the humanity was distorted. Humanity is broken. We're designed for perfection. And yet now, because of sin, we can't have right relationships with one another. Right? This is the story of God. This is the story of the entire Bible. If you're new and you're taking notes, notes you want to know the story? Chapters 1, 2, and 3 set the stage for the rest of the entire scriptures until Revelation 21 and 22. Just so you know. There are only four chapters... On the end, at uh, the beginning of the Bible, at the end of the Bible, two and two, that have no sin in the world. The rest is full of sin. 
And it's a story of God's pursuit of humanity to restore what was lost in the garden. And so God doesn't give up on humanity. He doesn't give up on us. Instead, he enters back into the story. And so we see this with um, Noah and various things. But really, the story picks off, picks up and takes off in Genesis 12. And I want to go there because you've got to see the theme that is carved all throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I think it will all make sense at the end, because um, obviously you, the walking dead made sense, right? Okay, good. Right? Did it not? Did that not? It did. It did. Don't eat, I don't care if you have a choice in the matter. Yes, it did. Thank you, church. Just kidding. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, God didn't give up on humanity. Instead, he calls a person. He says, uh, the Lord, <laughs> someone's, okay. The Lord had said to Abram, or Abraham, I'll call him Abraham later, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to a land I will show you. In other words, leave everything behind and go where I'm going to show you. He doesn't even tell him where. He doesn't tell him the destination. He says, but this is the promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. That sounds like a good idea, right? So the God of the universe calls this random dude named Abram, who becomes Abraham. And God says, look, you're going to be my guy. And you're going to basically represent me now. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a covenant. He'll make a covenant with him. And what's covenant about? Covenant's always about relationship. God enters into a relationship with humanity again, Abraham. But then he doesn't just do that. He calls him to a purpose. He calls him to follow God to a new land, to, to start a new tribe, a new family, a new nation from, from Abraham. And eventually over time, this becomes the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the story of the Old Testament. Exodus on is a story of Abraham's descendants and how what God began in Genesis 12 continues on later. But let's pause for a moment. You got that story so far? God's back into the story. In, in human history. This is around 2000 BC. Now, what was going on in 2000 BC? How did civilization organize itself? This is an important thing to understand because anthropology will help us answer um, uh, what, what it means to be family better than maybe some of, some of the things we've read um, from Focus on the Family, just so you know. Here, here, here are some points I just want to make. Nothing bad against Focus on the Family. It's great. Um, we're going to talk about tribes, okay? So here's the definition of a tribe. During, during Abraham's time, the way civilization organized itself was through tribes and nations, communities. And the definition is tribes were social divisions in a traditional society consisting of families or communities linked by social, econ- or economic, religious, or blood ties with a common culture, dialect, typically having a recognized leader. Tribes uh, were the earliest forms of communities. And, and what our anthropologists have discovered is that biological connections to other people uh, emerged out of defense. Communities formed together in primitive time and in ancient civilizations based on who's got your back. Who's going to watch your stuff when you go off to fight? 
right? So, so when we think about tribes, we're thinking about primitive culture. I, wanna, I really want us to understand this. We're talking about ancient civilization. The tribes are ancient, right? They're primitive cultures to today. They don't have technology. They don't have the sophistication. They don't have all the things that we've, we have today, obviously. But when we talk about tribes, we're talking about back then, okay? Let's just make sure that we, we're on the same page, okay? But tribes organize themselves around community. So here's some, some of the list. Uh, anthropologists said they shared stories together. They shared, they shared a common story. They shared relationships. They shared a common purpose. Everybody had a job to do in a tribe. Everybody had a job to do. You, you didn't just show up. You, you were part of this, this tribe, and you had a, a responsibility in the tribe, whether it was gathering, whether it, eventually after the agricultural revolution, you have, you have farming and settlers, and you have various tasks. But even in hunter-gatherer tribes, there are various tasks for each person. Common work. They fought for one another. They raised children together. Anthropologists have discovered that there was no such thing as a nuclear family. Those kids weren't yours. They belonged to the tribe. And the tribe, the village, was supposed to raise them together it takes a village to raise a child and and for being a new parent yes it does alex was gone visiting somebody in the hospital on on friday when i was fasting and just imagine not having food twice now i know most of the world actually 50 percent of the world goes to bed hungry and so there i was dreaming about the dinner i was going to make um, and she had to run off to the hospital and not make dinner. I wasn't going to make it. She was going to make it. And, um, and so I, I'm starving. And then Brooke came over because we had air conditioning, um, Alex's sister. And uh, I was like, I handed her the baby. Well, I'm going to make some food. Finally, you're here because I couldn't do it without her help. That's true. It's like we, we, we need help to raise kids, the village. And, and if you don't have that and you're a new family, can I just say, look for that, build it. Let's create it. You with me? That's just a side note, personal side note. We need family and community to raise children. So go back to that before I forget, um, Alyssa, will you? They celebrated events together. They lived life with one another. Okay, so that's what tribes did. Tribes developed over, over time to build that. And you build these connections on survival. So when we look, at, we look at the walking dead, we see a tribe trying to survive against harsh environments. So tribes in ancient cultures had to survive weather and harsh environments, but also other tribes trying to kill them. That's why they formed the tribe. And so what happened over time is what anthropologists call tribal consciousness. And it's really important that we grasp this. It means this, a loyalty to the tribe. Your loyalty lies to the tribe over everything else. Your personal preferences, your family preferences, your work preferences. Everything uh, goes to the tribe. It goes to belonging to that community. Tribal affiliation was everything. And if you don't think, you know, that's a primitive concept, would you agree? That seems primitive, but yet we talk about the Green Bay Packers, and there is clearly tribal consciousness existing in sports fans today. Lakers, Clippers, Giants, Dodgers, Red Sox fans. See, exactly, right? We know who they are. Most of you are like, whatever, whoever's winning, I'm a fan of. You know, like that's, that's for some of you, that's your tribal consciousness. But... So here's the deal. Just to get tribes, other tribes, you'd never talk to other tribes. You would never, you'd never interact with other tribes because they dressed differently than you. They talked differently than you. They spoke different dialects. They held different values. They had different customs. They practiced different religions. They had different belief systems. They celebrated different festivals. They had a different diet. They ate different meals. They ate different ways, all sorts of different kinds of food. And so you would never interact with other tribes. It was all about surviving the world and your tribe winning. Tribal mentality and tribes. Okay, you with me? God enters into human history in 2000 B.C. 
when this is the mindset, tribal affiliation is everything. Your family, the, the tribe you come from, the nation, is your security, your identity, who you are. It's everything for you. And God calls a man out of that and says, I'm going to do something new. All right? And he makes a covenant. I'm going to, I'm going to be your God. We're going to build a relationship. But he doesn't end, and this is the most significant thing. This is revolutionary for 2000 BC. You with me? This is what God, let's read that passage and we'll finish the last line. Uh, number 12, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your own country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And, I will be a, uh, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. But look at the end. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God acts in human history in Genesis 12 and forms a new tribe. And God's tribe, God's family, exists to bless other tribes and families. He gives them a relationship, a covenant, and calls them to a mission. This tribe doesn't exist for itself. It exists for all other families on the face of the earth. This is how God begins to restore humanity back to itself by saying, we don't have tribal consciousness. This is ruining the way the civilization worked in the ancient context. Why? Because when you make money, you don't make lots of money to share it with other people. When you have a house and extra rooms, you're not taught to invite people in to live there. If you have two homes, you don't give that home away to somebody else. It's about you. It's about you and your tribe winning. It's about survival in the harshest environments. And for whatever reason, we carry on tribal consciousness. It's about me and my dreams. And even in ancient primitive cultures, they practice. You don't spend time with other people outside your tribe. And God says, no, 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 no. We're going to change the world. And it starts in Genesis 12. My tribe exists for other tribes. I'm going to bless people through you. Are you with me? And the story continues. And the, the whole Old Testament is the story of Israel, the Israelites. First slaves and then a freed nation. Um, and then God makes a covenant with them, continuing the mission. And if you look at the covenant, and we don't have time in Exodus 19, God says, you're going to be my people, my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests. In other words, you're going to bless the nations as my people. I'm giving you a covenant. You're my people. We're, we're in relationship. But it's for the sake of the world. And over time, over, millennia, over history, the Israelites did not live with the mission. They lived simply with the covenant. They became the people that said, we're insiders, you're outsiders. They became a stumbling block for the nations, not a blessing to the nations. Until Jesus comes. Jesus is God incarnate, flesh and blood, moves into the neighborhood, becomes an Israelite. He's an Israelite, born into the system, and begins to change the religious world in his day. 2,000 years after God calls Abraham, Jesus comes around and begins to change the religious system that has lost its mission. He's, he's including the outsiders, the outcasts, the broken, the lost. He's flipping up tables. He's turning things over. People are pissed. He dies because the religious establishment could not have his message. They couldn't engage with that, but he was so offensive and scandalous, this Jesus that we worship. He was so scandalous. As that message of God wanting to bless the nation, all the nations through Israelites, as they lost their mission, Jesus comes and fulfills their mission. Jesus comes and redeems God's family for mission. 
It's, in, in fact, one, one account, there are so many we can go to, but I love this one because it, it really is offensive. Mark chapter 3, Jesus, if you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 31. Jesus is ministering near his hometown. And he didn't even get a meal. His family thinks he's crazy. And in verse 31, this is, he's teaching people in a house and his family comes. It says this, then Jesus' uh, mother and brothers arrived standing outside. They sent someone, to, someone in to call him. The crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Now, if you were a part of the first century culture, you'd understand that it was a, a really important thing to honor your parents and your family. That's a priority. You're, you're immediately, your immediate bloodline. I mean, they even call Jesus son of Joseph um, because it, his, his, who his father was represents his bloodline. It gave him a position and authority and place in society during that time. It was your workplace. It was your identity. It was your security. It was your 401k family. It was everything. And Jesus' response is so compelling. We don't even see it. It's offensive. It's offensive to us. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? He asked. He looked around at those sitting with him. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This would have caused a gasp. This would have been so offensive, not just to his family, but to everyone else in that time. Who are my brothers? This is almost a public shaming, but for Jesus, it's an invitation into the new reality that the kingdom of God is the new tribe. Above all other loyalties, you submit to Jesus. Jesus redefines everything else. Because you walk with Jesus as a follower of him, he should reorganize your calendar, your finances, your dietary habits, your home life. He should reorient your every, every person that you come in contact with. He, he, what you do with them is based on what he says for your life. This is what it means to be a follower released into the world. And Jesus tells a first century culture that's all about family. It's about who does the will of the Father that have a connection with me as mother, brother, and sister. Our relationship to Jesus redefines everything. Our families need to be reconstructed around our faith with Jesus. Do you know this? Who gets in? Who comes over for Thanksgiving? Who gets to partake in our traditions? Those who do, do the will of the Father with you. Jesus, and you could say, okay, that was, you know, that was, Jesus was a revolutionary. I get it. He doesn't mean that for today, Right? I mean, you're not telling me to, like, invite the outsider into my family. I mean, I have a new, I, you know, I've got to save for my kid's college fund. I don't, that, you're not saying help those that can't save for their college funds out. You're not saying that, right? Acts 2. I'll leave that open for you. Acts 2, 42. The church is born. Jesus is resurrected. And this is, I've preached on this sermon, this, this text, like, six times. It's my favorite text. Because as a church planner, this is my guideline. This is, as a leader, uh, this is what I want to see. And I, I hope um, that you would remember these things. But this is the earliest snapshot of the, what the church did. Verse 30, uh, 42. They devoted themselves, this is the church, to the apostles' teaching. Devoted is to continually commit themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostle. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
That's hard to believe because they spoke different languages. They were in different socioeconomic statuses. But the scripture says that they had everything in common. And here's why. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Anyone. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They weren't passive observers. The church was not a full of spectators, those that just came to watch. They were full participants in the life of the Spirit within the church. They gave. They became full participants. They became a new family. What you see here is that Jesus begins to redefine the way community is formed. They're eating in homes. They're meeting at temple courts. They're caring for those that have needs. They're taking care of each other because that's what family does. Do you see it? 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. The word is oikos or oikos, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth beyond all question. The mystery from which true godliness springs is great. The church is God's household, God's family. The church is the solution to humanity's oldest problem. The church is the cure for today's modern ailment. The church is is designed to be a place that reveals what it means to be human again. The church is simply God's family on mission to bless the rest of the world. If the world is showing us that it's starving for human connection and meaningful relationships, um, we have the antidote. Don't we? Here, in our midst. Are you with me? The only way to experience the full capacity for life and relationship as a human is through faith in Jesus. The only way to experience the full capacity of life and relationships as a human is through faith in Jesus. God work is working to restore all of humanity back to where it was. But even better, because it's going to go with a new city in Revelation 21 and 22. But it starts with Abraham, a family called to live on mission. It becomes the Israelites, and then it becomes Jesus, the embodiment of all of Israel. And then it becomes the church. The church is carrying the hope of the world in its fingers. Your fingers are holding the hope of the world. Your heart. Your knowledge, your wisdom, everything about you is carrying the future of the gospel being planted for the nations so people can find God. Your life is simply a roadmap to finding God. Our, ma- our life together is the greatest roadmap to finding God. So the church is not an event, it's not a program. It's not, a, it's not just about a nonprofit or an institution. The church is a family. The garden is a family. We are marked by family. We are marked by the definition of family. And what I understand is that most of us, uh, we don't actually have a healthy definition of family. If you are in a family, it's dysfunctional. Would you agree? Most of us, 50% of us come from divorced homes. We don't actually know how to create Meaningful relationships anymore. We have traded simple connection with meaning. Uh, we have traded meaningful relationships with simple connection online. 
We've lost the capacity for intimacy. Yet the church is designed to be the place where real intimacy is formed. And real family is demonstrated for the rest of the world by how we love one another. So here are a few statements I want to make. And then we'll, we'll talk about ten ways to create family. And then we'll end. The church, um, first of all, when I say family, family means uh, meaningful relationships. It means intimacy. It means no, being known and knowing others. Do you have that here? Family means uh, we are in it together. And most of you, some of you have had this experience. Most of you haven't. When somebody hurts, we need to suffer with them. When somebody's celebrating, we celebrate with them. When my brother needs prayer because he has something going on with his family uh, or with his, his daughter, uh, I'm, I'm carrying that burden with him in prayer. That's how we ought to live with one another. We are in it together. We don't get to, it's not one part, one guy has one job and I get to sit and watch him. We all have to participate. We all have to journey together to be family. When you don't show up as yourself, it hurts us. When I was uh, just, when we just moved here uh, six years ago, I was 24 and I left Rock Harbor, which meant I left a salary. I had, they gave, uh, they dedicated a year of my salary. So I had one year to become, we had to become self-sustaining. And I'm just giving you the human side. So the risk of planting was, I didn't have a job after this. Uh, it might not work. So there's all these other fears. Uh, I would lose my health insurance, which my wife at the time had an undiagnosed heart condition, which was terrifying. Um, we would lose our retirement. We wouldn't have any retirement. Rock Harbor, you know, paid into retirement. Uh, dental, all sorts of amazing things that most of the world doesn't have, but it had become very comfortable for us. And it had become hard to say no. Uh, to, it, had, it, had, it was hard for us to leave that and continue on this thing. And I remember it was a few months in, and I got this phone call that changed the direction and course. And I don't even think this person knows how significant it was. Because as a church planner, you're worried about all sorts of things, especially your wife. Um, and that was probably the biggest obstacle for us. It was like, how am I going to make sure you got health care and all that stuff? And I, I'm a new, I was married for only a year. I get a phone call. I'm driving into my apartment, and I get a phone call. And this guy's like, hey, guys, I just want to talk to you for a second. I'm like, what's up? He's, he's, he's a leader from the beginning. And he just said, hey, um, I know that this is a big risk and all this stuff's going on, but I want you to know this. He said, I want you to know that if anything should ever happen to you, I've got Alex taken care of. Don't worry about her. Our family will take care of her. You want to know what that did? That just released it. Imagine the community if we were in it together like that. Hey, you don't have to worry about that. No, 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 no. You've got enough to work, worry about. I've got this covered. God's blessed me with something. I'm going to take care of that. Changed my world. Because I was freed. I'm going to do this thing, God. That's what it means to be in it together. Family means uh, you have a place at the table. This is a big one for me. I grew up in a family with uh, two other brothers. Uh, before my parents divorced, we had a five-bedroom house. And my two brothers and I, we, uh, we lived in the same bedroom most of our life. Why? Because the way I was taught to do family is when you have extra rooms, or even if you don't have extra, you invite those people in. We had families living with us my whole life. We never got our own rooms, basically few years we did. We had to share everything because family was that this house is not ours. But also, 
um, I learned to live that out. And how I lived that out is I, I knew people didn't have enough food. And so I would always invite them over. My mom, and my mom brings all the hospitality out here. She's like the, the church mom, basically. Yeah. And my mom said, yeah. My mom says, says uh, basically cooked like enough for 20 people because every, it didn't matter what night of the week was. We had people joining us all the time. And if there wasn't room at the table, we'd sit on the floor together. I mean, that's how crazy it is. You go to Thanksgiving at my mom, family, every year. It was like we had cousins. I didn't even know these people weren't related to me. That's how I grew up. And, you know, I just knew it's Gene. It's these random people. Oh, we're not related. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized, oh, we're not actually blood related. Okay. That's what family is. You have a place at the table. At the Garden Church, everyone has a place at the table. And if you're a leader, you get away from the table to make room for them. And the second thing is this, at the Garden Church, and what it means to be family is that you belong before you believe and behave. So big. You belong before you believe. Jesus' disciples didn't know who he was in Mark's Gospel in chapter 8. For us, we don't have to, you have to believe all this stuff about God. What? To belong. No, 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 Family is just come and we'll, we'll let Jesus sort this out. Right? It's not about believing just right doctrine. All that's important. It's about creating an environment that's big enough for people to bring questions, doubts, fears, different beliefs. And saying, oh, Jesus is at the center of this church. You, you good with that? He's raised from the dead? All right, we'll figure the, this, the rest of the stuff out as we go along. But before we go along, let's just sit down for a little bit and get to know one another. Make sure your rent's paid. Make sure you have all you need. Make sure that you're cared for as we break bread and share communion with each other. You with me? You have a place at the table. You belong before you believe or behave. Family is embracing one another despite our differences and ugliness and sticking together. And family means we can do more together. Five years, we've almost been a church. On October 12th, we'll celebrate five years. We can do so much more together. The next five years are going to be so exciting. Look around you. I mean, when, I, when we started this five and a half years ago, when we started meeting beforehand, there were like eight of us total. And it was horrible. And most importantly, there was no AC. God provided that. We prayed that in. Actually, we got kicked out, and then we got in. There's so much, I'm not even going to get into it. There's so much that's going to happen. God's favor is on us. This isn't me declaring it. It's clear. Jump in. All right, I'm going to close with a few things. Ten things, and you can write these down if you're taking notes. Ten ways to create family at the garden. First, show up. You have to show up, participate. If you are not participating, it's time to show up. I'm tired of people telling me that they don't feel connected to the garden. That just means you haven't tried hard enough. Look, if if you think the answer is an email to a strange person you've never met, that's not the answer. Look around you. You want to get connected to the garden, go say hi to somebody that you don't know. And say, hey, can we grab coffee? Chances are, you'll hang out again. Maybe not. Maybe they're awkward. (laughs) Show up. (laughs) Share life through meals, activities, events, and ordinary times. Serve others. I love when people, people say, what do you have for me at the garden? Well, with that attitude, nothing. (laughs) Actually, we don't exist for you. You're already here. We exist for those that aren't here and can't even ask the question. Listen well. The world is dying. I mean, we're broadcasting our stories on social media. Imagine if you were just a good listener. Want to create family? Listen well. Forgive often. 
Forgive, forgive, forgive. You want to know the secret ingredient to family and healthy community? Forgiveness. That's it. Next one. Um, just communicate with transparency and honesty. At our leadership gathering last week, I said, guys, we cannot gossip as a church. Period. It is the pornography of community. It is the worst sin in community. It destroys the witness of God. If you have something to say about somebody and it's not positive, if it doesn't build them up, do not say it, text it, email it, go to them. Period. Obviously, you can see I'm passionate. That's what it's called to be. We live with transparency. The moment we say one thing and do another, what? We lose our witness. You want a healthy family? Be honest. I mean, that's revolutionary for some of you. Stop hiding around trying to get everyone's approval. I'm just preaching to myself. Just say what, yeah, I actually want to meet on Wednesday, not Tuesday. Okay, we'll see, go to the Wednesday group. Do that, okay? Include, be patient, include, invite, and invest, share stories, and commit, commit to, to showing up. All right. When we do this together, when we love one another, when we embrace one another, when we hold each other and accept the outsider, when we exist for the world's needs, we actually have, the, we meet the world's needs. The church ultimately reveals what, it, uh, what is to come in the future when Jesus comes back and what it means simply to be human again by loving one another despite our differences. So here's my response, three responses and we'll close. I'll invite the worship team up so we can save some time. And we can bear the summer fest. Just kidding. It's fall fest. It feels like summer. We should have done a pool party. Um, we're going to have a pool for 500. Um, it's called the ocean. Um, just, I'm just commentating for myself. I don't get to talk twice today, so I only get one shot. So, And the second series always gets the funnier Darren for some reason. So... Or some of you don't think that, so you get the awkward. <laughs> All right, hey, you're, here's what I want to do. Um, three responses. Number one, if you've never accepted Jesus, it's time. There's no other way to experience the, the longing you have to fill the longing you have in your life. It's more than just loneliness. You're searching for meaning. Jesus is the answer. And if you want, if you want to ex- accept Jesus now, it's right now is the perfect time. We have our eyes open, but let's not be afraid. We're going to welcome you as a family. Just show your hand up as a, a sign of, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus. Anyone here want to do that this morning? Anyone? No hands? Oh, we have someone. Awesome. Let's cheer them right now. We got them. I see you. Hey. I'm going to talk to this guy real quick. Everyone else, just mind your own business. Hey, would you just pray with me? Uh, I'm going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, uh, I'll just pray for you. Lord Jesus, I bless this man. Pray that you would come into his life, reorient his whole life around you, fill him with peace and joy with your spirit, God, and thank you for bringing a son home. And we celebrate that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good news. Hey, if you, want to, if you want to accept Jesus and come talk to me, come do that afterwards. If I didn't see your hand. Last two. Some of you have family here. Some of you have awesome community here. And it's like everything I'm describing, you're like, yes. My challenge to you is go after the lost and lonely sheep. You do not exist for yourself. Your families don't exist for each other. They exist for the world. And if you've become comfortable, go to a different community group today. I'm going to join the Frank and Madeiras. They got sweet and saucy. (laughs) Second or third, 
Some of you are in family. You don't have somewhere to go on Thanksgiving. You don't have this type of family. Well, guess what? Today's your lucky day. It's time to join. We're going to have, a, really, we're going to have the Lord's Supper outside after this and fellowship like crazy and in party and hang out um, and just get plugged into a community group. Um, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have everyone stand right now. And I'm going to invite a few of our leaders that are going to pass out communion. We get to practice family on mission today. And so we have, uh, we have some juice and some homemade bread. Somebody from our church like, I want to make bread for communion today. So it's homemade bread. Thank you. And we're going we're gonna to basically all come forward for those that belong to the garden. And um, if you don't, we just want to invite you to participate in what should be a meal. It is, and, and this is what it represents. Christ dying for us and raising again. Giving us a covenant of relationship. That we, because of what he did on the cross, we are now freed. And we are healed and humanity is in the process of being fully restored back to right relationship to God and each other and ourselves because of Jesus. And second, it's a reminder of our mission that when we sit and t- dip the bread into the wine, we remember that it cost everything and we better get out and go tell some people about it. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we invite you into this time. May we celebrate the Lord's Supper what you instituted the night before you um, were betrayed and taken. We thank you for the cost. We thank you that it's not our, uh, that that because of our sin, um, we are freed because of what you've done. Our lists are long, but we are, we're simply called saints and holy because of you. And we thank you for the covenant, the relationship we have. And we ask you, God, to fill us with mission as we remember that actually what we believe is that you're raised from the dead. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.